0: Parshas Vayigash, Lion of Yehuda. We have in this week's Sedra a very dramatic scene, maybe one of the more dramatic scenes in the entire Kisvei HaKoytish. The Mishnah Lamelech, the ruler of Egypt, is sitting on his throne and he's castigating the Shavatim. He's threatening to take away their little brother Binyamin and to imprison him for stealing the royal goblet. You remember the story, how the brothers went down to Mitzrayim in order to buy grain, and they were dealing now with the Mishnah Lamelech, who was being very tough to them. They didn't know it was their long-lost brother Yosef, and now he was taking Binyamin into captivity. And it seemed like all was lost. Binyamin was in prison now, and he would remain in Mitzrayim as a slave and die there in prison. And the brothers would have to come back now to their father without Binyamin. That was the psak of the Mishnah Lamelech. Now, if we're going to set the scene here properly, we have to first forget about whatever we think a king is. Today we look at leaders, at presidents and prime ministers as nothing people, as pushovers. And there's a good reason for that. It's because they are pushovers. Their threats are usually empty threats, and their dignity is usually an empty dignity. Who's our president today? A peanut farmer, an empty suit. Even a king today, it's nothing. It's nothing compared to the ancient days. But in the good old days when a king spoke, you quaked in your boots. If you looked at him wrong, it was off with your head. And there were no parole boards and no appeals to the Supreme Court. No silly liberal judge was going to save you. An order was given, and the head was promptly removed from the body. And so when the Mishnah Lamelech was telling the brothers what was going to be now with Binyamin, so there shouldn't have been a peep. It's true. Binyamin is going lost now, and they'll have to return to their father without Binyamin. But there's nothing to do. With the king, you don't argue. Suddenly something happened. The Pasuk says, Vayigash elav Yehuda, and Yehuda approached the Mishnah Lamelech. They were standing there in great dread, but Yehuda mustered up his courage and he approached. Vayigash means he came close to the king, Vayomer, and he spoke to him. Now just to open up a mouth in a king's presence required nerve. It requires a stiff spine. The truth is, even to stand back and meekly beg for mercy is something already. But to approach the Mishnah Lamelech, It requires a certain spirit. And not only he approached, but he spoke at length. Now, to make a long speech to a king, an argumentative speech is a most unwise and perilous thing to do. It's like playing with the Malach But Yehuda was Moiseh Nefesh, and he made himself the spokesman. He spoke with diplomacy, but still he spoke. And he spoke tough. And that's how Binyamin was saved. Now, I want to tell you something. The following principle is my own. I didn't hear it from my rabbis, and therefore, I take the responsibility for it. If it's not good, I'm to blame. But I'm inclined to say that this Parsha is one of the reasons why the Am Yisrael today is made up of Yehudim, the people of Yehuda. Not only are we called Yehudim, but to a very great extent, we are Yehudim. Are all Jews today from Yehuda? No, but most of them are. Some are from the tribe of Binyamin, some are from the tribe of Levi, all Kohanim and Levim come from the tribe of Levi. And there is a small admixture from all the other tribes too. It's a fact that we have a little from every tribe among us. But we are mostly of the tribe of Yehuda. Now, what is the importance that we descend from Yehuda? Why not one of the other Shavatim? It wasn't an accident. Nothing is an accident. But something so big like this, the future of our people, there's something there. And so it's a fair question. Why is it... That Yehuda was the one who turned out to be the Jewish nation. What about all the other brothers? I think that this story is one of the more important reasons, because we see that Yehuda had a certain quality of Gevura. And in order to be successful in anything, especially as a Yehudi, you have to have a backbone. I think that's the reason why Yehuda became greater than his brothers. You remember when Yaakov, our father, was saying farewell to his sons just before he passed away he made the following remark in Breshis. Yehuda, Yehuda, your brothers are going to extol you. Now, yoducha means two things. It means sometimes to thank, but over here it means to uplift, to be made great. Your brothers are going to extol you. They are going to aggrandize you. It was a prophecy that the entire nation, all of the tribes will someday recognize the primacy of Yehuda. The children of your father are going to bow down to you. Why? Why was Yehuda chosen? Because of his quality of boldness, of energy. Your hand will be on the back of the neck of your enemies. Now if a man has his enemies by the back of the neck, it means he's bold and energetic. No question about it. And Yaakov compared Yehuda to a lion. A young lion is Yehuda. Why a lion? Because he was known for the quality of being fearless, of not shirking before the enemy. That's the defining quality of a lion that we are urged by the sages to emulate. Have as Kanamed ka'ari. Be as mighty as a lion. To do the will of your Father in heaven. That doesn't mean the strength of a lion. It could be that an elephant is stronger than a lion. It could be that an ox could pull a stronger load. But a lion is fearless. And therefore, Yehuda was considered the one who would be the mightiest, the most persistent in carrying out the service of HaKadosh Baruchu. He was the one who most utilized his energies. You remember when they came to the Red Sea, to the Yam Suf, and they had to walk into the water, but it was deep water. The water wasn't open before them, and the nation was in despair. Here on one side, the army of Paro was pursuing them to take revenge. And here on the other side was the deep sea. It was Yehuda that decided to enter the water. Nachshon, the prince of Yehuda, went into the water. It took verve and gumption. It took boldness to do such a thing. The water went up to his neck, but he remained a lion. And then the waters parted and opened up also when they came into Edith Canaan, in the days of Yeshua, and they were commanded to drive out or to destroy all the Canaanim. It was Shevet Yehuda who acted with the boldness that Hashem wanted. You have to know that this mitzvah of destroying Canaanim was very unpalpable, very distasteful to the Am Yisroel. They were a Hamanim. They had pity. It was very difficult for them to do such a thing. And therefore the Shavatim were lax. They did something, but they were very lax in carrying out this mitzvah. Only one Shevet fulfilled the mitzvah entirely. Yehuda drove out all the Cananim. He destroyed all of those that remained. It's stated in Sefer Shoftim that Yehuda fulfilled this mitzvah perfectly. That's an important point when you want to understand the greatness of Yehuda. And because of that, Yehuda was always successful. All the tribes had invasions at one time or another from neighboring countries. There was Midian and Ammon and Moab, even Edom, who at some point, at some time or another, had some kind of sovereignty over the Jews in Eretz Israel. But in the tribe of Yehuda, no foreign nation ever gained a foothold because Yehuda was a fighting people, a people of energy, and their energy was devoted to carrying out their principle of being loyal to Hashem. That's why Yehuda lasted on the land longer than all the others. They were unencumbered by the Umasa'ilam, and therefore they became more concentrated in their idealism, in their principles. Yehuda imkel Yehuda was clinging to Hashem and was loyal to the Nevi'im, Hosea. When the time came to make a break and Yeruvim broke away with the ten tribes, Yehuda remained with the Beis HaMikdash. That takes Gevura too. To ignore the multitudes, the rebellious ones. And so it's my theory that this quality that Yehuda developed of being Gibor Ka'ari, strong like a lion, to do the will of Hashem, was what made him great. Of course, a man could have a drive and be a failure. He still has free will, and he might utilize his drive to be a conqueror and a tyrant. But that's a misuse of a very important Amida, a midah that was given to you for Avodah Hashem. You can't be a weakling. You can't be a milk toast and a Nebuchel. You have to have a backbone to be a Jew. A Jew has to have fight in him, because all around us we are surrounded by enemies. External enemies and internal enemies. We have plenty of internal enemies. We have half Jews and 1% Jews and 0% Jews and minus percent Jews. And they claim to be Jews. They claim they are the real Jews. We have to fight constantly against them. Not only as a nation living among the nations of the world, but also as an individual living among other people. A person who has a weak character, no matter how virtuous he is, how good his intentions are. Usually, he doesn't accomplish much. You need a drive to be something. When the mother says, You can't go to the yeshiva. I want you to become a college professor. Then you need to rise like a lion. Never mind. All the bums in the street have their way. They don't become anything. They become gutter bums. And I want to go to yeshiva. And you are going to force me just because I am good? All the bums disobey. And I have to obey? I won't listen to you. And you have to fight against yourself too. You have a big enemy within yourself. The Yetzirah is always on the job. You have to fight against him. It's like Iov said, ale Isn't it military service for a man on this earth? Every man in this world is in military service. We are serving the Almighty, but it's a battle. And so you have to have guts. You have to have fire in you. You have to have viciousness in you. And that's what Yehuda was And that's why the Jew today Is personified by Yehuda That's why even till today We are the Yehudim Whether you live in Canada or in New Zealand Whether you live in South America Wherever a Jew goes he remains a Jew He's a Yid A Zid A Zweed A Judin A Judah A Kaik Whatever it is they'll call him In all languages And in all climes He doesn't budge Because he knows that's the truth. No matter what, he remains a Yehudi. Now some people, when they hear this, I'm talking now about energetic people. People with a natural verve. So they're happy with the lecture up until now. They're Yehudim, they think. They have the energy to stand up and fight. But it's not so simple. It's not simple at all. Yehuda was a strong man, no question about it. Only a strong-willed person, a rock, can stand up to Mishne Lamelech like that. But he was too soft. When he needed to be, suddenly he became soft. You remember the episode when Tamar gave him the opportunity to admit his guilt? Suddenly this bold Gibor wasn't so bold anymore. He didn't argue. He didn't talk tough. He didn't make a long speech. He folded quietly. Tzadka mi I'm wrong. She's right. That's what Yehuda said. And so Yehuda was a model of the perfect Gibur, a Gibur who knows when to be strong and when to become a softy. That's one of the reasons Yehuda became Yehuda, because he was gur Aryeh, like a lion, who knew when to be a little cat, a soft, purring cat. I'm going to tell you now about a descendant of Yehuda, who trained himself to be like his Zaidi, to know when to be strong and when to be not so strong. There was a certain character mentioned in Tanakh, in Shmuel Bet, who was called Adino Ha'etzni. It was his real name. It was a title that he received. Adino means the gentle one, the soft one, the mild one. Ha'etzni means the one who is like wood. He was as hard as wood. Now, the Gemara in Moed Katan tells us that this paradoxical name, soft yet hard, refers to none other than one of Yehuda's most famous descendants, David HaMelech. David was called the gentle one, and he was called the tough one. That's the personification of this great man. Now, we understand that he couldn't be both things at the same moment. It means that sometimes he was gentle, and sometimes he was hard. Sometimes he was Adino, Adin. And sometimes he was Ha'etzni, Kasha Ke'etz. And he was praised by this paradoxical name because that's the real Yehudi, the one who knows when to be this and when to be that. That's the trick of successful living. The gemara and Brucha states as follows. David Amelech would come into the base madrish to learn, even though he was already a king. He always came to study Torah. And Mephibosheth was at the same time his superior, his rabbi. Now, the Gemara sets the scene for us. David HaMelech is sitting down before his Rebbe who's speaking words of Torah. He's teaching the sugya, And in the middle of the sugya, an idea occurs to David, a Torah thought. So he says over his Chiddush to his Rebbe. That's how it was. There was a give and take between Rebbe and the student. And so David would present his Torah ideas to his Rebbe. Not only his Chidushim. Whenever David had to pass in a Shailah, he would appeal to his Rebbe for approval. Mephibosheth Rabbi Danti. Rabbi, did I decide this question properly? Zikiti. Was I right when I said this? Did I say it correctly, Rabbi? Now, Mephibosheth was the kind of man who wouldn't brook any loose thing. He wouldn't tolerate any laziness of mind in his disciples. When a disciple demonstrated loose things, Mephibosheth didn't pull any punches. Shaya Mivayesh David He used to put David To shame when David slipped up in something. That's so silly, he would say. I'm surprised at you. You're not thinking. He belittled him. It could be that it surprises you. But that's how it always was among the sages. Loose thinking was considered a crime. Among us, there are worse things. If someone would sneeze into your face, you would rebuke him for his bad manners. And it's true. It's a crime. But among the Chachamim, if someone said something careless, if he was lazy in thinking straight, it was worse than that. It was much worse manners, and he'd be excoriated for that. And what did David do? David the king swallowed this humbly. The Gemara says, Shaya mit'aden ketolat. He made himself as soft as a worm. If you looked at this man sitting in the base medrash before his senior teachers or his sages, you wouldn't imagine that he had a bone in his spine. However, much of his teachers criticized him. He bore the brunt. He wasn't soft, but mit Aden he made himself soft like a worm. He was soft and pliable to his teachers. That's why he's called Adino, the soft one. But this same man is also called Ha'etzni, the man of wood. Because if we change the scene for a moment, and imagine now that we are with David in the battlefield, we see a different person. Here is David, the same David who yesterday was in the base medrash, But now he's carrying a heavy battle axe and he's plunging it into the fray ahead of his soldiers, wielding his battle axe, a heavy axe made of iron and shouting, not only wielding it. He is crushing the skulls and the spines of his opponents without the slightest compunction. With no quarter, no mercy, David is killing men right and left, causing on all sides that the people should fall like weeds before the reaper. Now, looking at David, battling, you wouldn't dream that he had in him any softness at all. Because when he went out to battle against the enemies of his people, it means the enemies of Hashem. David was Kashe kaetz. That's how David is described. And so, if you were looking at David on the battlefield, crushing skulls, you wouldn't dream that he had in him any softness at all. That's why David is also called haetzni, the man of wood. If somebody would see him, he would say, That man has no heart. He is all iron. He is a piece of wood. No softness in him at all. But we remember David, the Adino from the base madrish too. He was soft and pliable like a worm in front of his rabbis. And what that means is that David wasn't a one-track person. Like Yehuda Hezadi, he was capable of both attitudes. Sometimes he was Adino, a gentleman. Quiet, attentive, humble. And other times, when the situation called for it, he was haetzni, as hard as wood. It wasn't only David. From the beginning of our nation, all of our great men were like that. You remember when Avraham said, Anochi afar ve'efed, I'm dust and ashes in bracious It means, I'm nothing. Now, a lot of people say that. Anochi afar ve'efed. I know a man, he's fond of that phrase. He doesn't mean it though. He doesn't act like Afar When he comes home, he opens his big mouth on his wife and he shouts, he doesn't remember that he's Afar Efer. But Avraham didn't only say it. He practiced it. You remember when Sarah said those sharp words to him? Chamas alecha, My anger is upon you. HaKadosh Boruch will take retribution from you because you allowed Hagar to become arrogant against me. Now those are very sharp words to say to a husband. It's a reproach of most extreme vehemence. And it wasn't even Avraham's fault. He didn't do anything. Only because he didn't instruct Hagar enough how she should behave, so Sarah sharply rebuked him. What did Avraham do? He was soft, like a worm. He was patient and polite and quiet. Hinei biadecha. I'm so sorry. Here you can do whatever you want to make it good. I accept whatever you'll decide. Now, you shouldn't think that story is something that happened once. It's told to us as a model, an example. Avraham was a good husband. He was a quiet man to his wife. He wasn't quiet to his enemies, though. Avraham knew how to wield a sword. You think Avraham was a weakling. He wasn't a Nebuchadnezzar. He was a gibor ish milchama. You have to know that he was a general, a strong, stern leader. And when he was forced into battle, he made himself into a lion. Avraham chased the four kings and their armies from Sodom all the way up to Syria. That's a journey of several days, you know. Several days, and Avraham had a very small force. He had 318 of his own, and he had Anir, Eshkol, and Mamre, who were helping him out. I don't know how many they had, but they weren't as many as the invaders were. But Abraham was a strategist. <speaking> In the darkness of the night, he divided his forces and attacked from different sides so that the enemies would think, who knows how many people are attacking us? And they got up and started fleeing. Of course, it was HaKadosh Baruch Hu giving him siyata dishmaya. But don't think Avraham was sitting in the back thinking about chesed, about feeding hungry wayfarers and being polite to his wife. He plunged right into the fray and he was chopping down the enemy. He took a battle axe and he chopped off heads. Ooh, uh, was Avraham tough. But when his wife was angry at him, Avraham said, Do whatever you want. Yes, my dear, whatever you say. That's how he answered. He bowed his head and made himself soft. Now these models of Adino Ha'etzni are manifold. Not only Yehuda, not only David and Avraham. You remember Moshe Rabbeinu when he left the palace to help his brothers. His soft heart ached for his people who were being afflicted. El He left the palace and went out to his brothers because the kindness of his heart wouldn't let him rest. Shemos. He left the palace and put his shoulder under the burden with them. But he wasn't a milk toast, he wasn't a pushover. When he went out, Vayar Ish Make Ish Ivri and he saw an Egyptian who was hitting one of the Hebrews. So Moshe Rabbeinu picked up his huge fist. He had a huge fist, like a bag of flour And he gave the mitzri such a zetz that there was a funeral right away. Now had Moshe been only an adino, a soft man, he would have gone forth to his afflicted brothers and he would have seen them carrying loads on their shoulders and he would have said like he did, let me help you, I have a good shoulder, I can carry it for you. It would have been a great thing, but it wouldn't have been enough. But when he saw somebody persecuting his brother and that aroused his indignation, his righteous indignation, and he smote him. Ba'yach et ha-mitzri. Ooh! HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, That's my man! Because you have both things. You have kindliness and mercy in you. You have compassion, but you also have strength of character, forcefulness, boldness. We need Yehudim who are able to take their kindness and translate it into action too. A kindly Lemechel, a kindly Nebuchal, who can't do anything. All he can say is, Ah, it's a pity! and shed tears for his brothers, it's very good, but not good enough. A kind-hearted man who is a weakling is only half a man. A Jew becomes great, successful, because he can be tough and soft, tough and soft, adin and etz. With wisdom and with discernment, he knows when yes and when no. You know, when we read these stories in the Tanakh, it's unfortunate that they remain just that, stories. They're supposed to be examples, Teaching lessons. That's what Torah means. A teaching. It's the Torah's intention to create precedence. Not presidents. Precedents. It means models for us to follow. So when you learn about Yehuda, in this week's Parsha, you already have one precedent. Adinoha Eitzni, Another precedent. Avram Avinu and Moshe Rabbeinu. There are so many more. I had planned on talking to you about Aaron and Pinchas and Shaul too. The Torah and Gemara and Midrashim are full of stories. There are thousands of them, much more than I said here. And what is it that we especially see from these people? That life is a balancing act, a tightrope that requires leaning, sometimes to one side and then sometimes to the other side. Rabbeinu Sadia Gaon in Amunas V'dayas talks about this subject. He says it's a big error when people choose one way in life. Some people say the success of life is this or that, and they rule out. They exclude everything else. No... There's no such a thing as following one derech in everything. A man must make his life a spectrum of many things, and he must learn when this quality is desirable or when another quality is desirable. All the attitudes are true. It's the application of the midas that makes them right or wrong. You're hearing now a very big principle for living successfully. The Jew must know how and when to manipulate his qualities of character, because such important decisions cannot be left to mere intuition. Otherwise, you have people who are adino ha'etznis, but they're all mixed up. They're not in control. Their emotions are in control of them. And therefore, they're hard when it comes to be soft, and they're soft when it's time to be tough. I once told you, there was a certain gentleman he used to attend my shul years and years ago. Now, this man was a tough man. I remember when I spoke about the necessity of making Pesach in your own home, about how important it is to lug dishes in and out preparing for Yom Tov about how important it is to make a Seder in your own house, in your own little sanctuary, instead of going away to a hotel. It loses the entire character of that holy night when the traditions are handed over from generation to generation if you go to a hotel. Now this fellow scorned that. He was tough as nails. He disagreed with me entirely and he wasn't soft in expressing his opinion. In the base Knesset, he was as hard as wood. He told people I was wrong. He had a backbone. He was bold. One day I met him on the east side, and we were buying esrogim for Yom Tov. So I bought an esrog and a lulav, and I carried them in my hand, and I got on the bus to go home. In those days, it was an uncommon sight to see someone carrying a lulav with pride. What will the Gentiles think? But I carried my lulav as a lulav should be carried. Let all the Puerto Ricans see that I'm carrying a lulav. He also got on the bus. But the s he wrapped up, and he put it into a coat pocket, and his lulav he wrapped up in paper. The lulav looked like a curtain rod. That's what he wanted people to think. He made every precaution to make sure nobody should know what he was carrying. He didn't have the boldness that people should see him carrying a lulav in the streets. So I was thinking. I didn't tell it to him, but I was thinking... You're a stubborn fellow in the shul. But when you come into the world, you're a weak link. He's not able to oppose the world. Why don't you carry your lulav and your esrog like a stubborn Jew and let them stick their eyes out if they don't like it? In the base HaMedrish, there's a place to be humble and soft. But outside, you have to be tough. And therefore, we come back to the fundamental question that everybody always asks, how do I do it? How do I manipulate my Midas to know when yes and when no? And the answer is, it's Torah, Torah, Torah. When a person has his mind full of Torah precedents, so when a situation comes suddenly upon him, immediately there flashes up before his mind's eye a picture of what he once learned, and he knows what to do in this and this circumstance. By learning these precedents and visualizing them, reviewing them again and again, they provide the patterns on which he'll base his future behavior. That's one of the great benefits of learning the stories of our great men and women who operated with wisdom and lived successfully. Our minds become full of living pictures of proper Torah living, and that's how we know how to behave. We always have some reference that's stored up in our minds, which serve as patterns. And even if the story of Yehuda approaching the Mishneh LaMelech, or of Avraham Avinu speaking softly to Sarah, doesn't flash before your eyes, but subliminally, it's there. You're studying of the Torah, of the lies of our great ones who came before us, already created patterns of thinking in your head, patterns of good character. And that's how we live successfully, by steering our medias with wisdom. Because life is a highway. And when you're driving on the highway of life, You have to know when to turn the steering wheel this way and when to turn it that way. You can't afford to yield to moods, to emotions when you're driving. Otherwise, you're liable to make a smash up. That's what we're learning tonight, that you have to grab hold onto the steering wheel. If you're alive, then you can choose how to steer and when to turn. Forget about the Torah of the psychiatrists who say you're a prisoner to your instincts to your thoughts and emotions. Sheker v'chazav. It's up to you to guide those traits. Sometimes you have to be an adino, and other times you have to be a ha'etzni. And it's all done with seichel, al pi When you are dealing, let's say, with your Rebbe, or with people who need more sympathy, sometimes even with r'shaimu, with sinners, it requires a gentle and yielding side. And so you turn the steering wheel of your mind, you guide your thoughts and your attitudes and your words in a different direction, But when there's a benefit in combating the wicked or wickedness, so you have to be as tough as could be. It doesn't mean you have to be impolite. You need not be insolent. But inwardly, you must be as tough as possible. Whatever it is, it has to be done with seichel, with Torah seichel. That's how a man becomes a sholat bi Sometimes, even in the shul, you have to make yourself a lion. When there's talking during davening, you have to remember what the tur and the shulchan aruch say. Go arimbo. You have to scold them. That's not the time to be solved. All around, that's how it should be. If you see somebody talking, everybody should start shouting, sha, 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 all around. Everybody is standing or sitting in the shul, and the shots, the leader is speaking for them to a Hu, And this nincompoop, this empty head, this late, turns to his neighbor to exchange idle conversation. It means that he is negating everything that's going on. Nothing is worth anything in comparison to this little unimportant desire that he has. And so it's a Chilul Hashem. He's profaning the glory of Hashem. Gadol Avono Beniso. That sin can never be forgiven. Even if you want to do teshuva, you cannot repent from Chilul Hashem. And so people must be told. You have to throw it in their teeth again and again until finally some people will listen. And yet this man who made himself a lion in Shul, When he comes home to his wife, he changes the dial again. He knows how to talk mildly. In the environment of his home, he reminds himself that now is different. Hashem wants something different now, and he speaks gently. Even when his wife shouts at him, he's adin katulas, he answers quietly. Of course, you have to know when, because sometimes in the home you have to speak also with molars, like you say in Yiddish, with Bakhtainer. You have to speak with your molars. Sometimes there are principles involved and you have to talk tough too at home. Sometimes a man's wife is yearning for what's not right. She wants to bring this or that magazine into the house. Maybe she's not willing to throw out the television and therefore he has to put his foot down and talk tough. But in general, there's a certain softness that's expected at home. The schmoozers in shul, he can be tough with them. But at home, he speaks with nechusa, with soft words. And he helps out too. He is willing to help with the dishes why not he is willing to get up sometimes at night when the baby cries and his wife is trying to get a few minutes of sleep he's soft at home but then in the morning he activates the mida of boldness again he has to be tough with himself sometimes to get out of his warm bed and go out to shul to learn he has to go out and make too. the shlamazel the softy without a backbone he stays at home most of the time he's discouraged He doesn't have the boldness to go out and to achieve a livelihood. That's a failure, because industry, energy, and boldness must be a part of your personality. And so we come back to Yehuda. When you look at Yehuda, why did Yehuda become the leader of the Jewish nation? And the answer is, Vayigash Elav Yehuda. That's our model for a successful person. He knows that he's always standing before Hashem, and he's expected to perfect his mitis, to manipulate them to perfection. At all times, a person must know first and foremost that he is standing lifnei Hashem and he's responsible for his behavior. And included in your behavior is your character trait of strength and boldness. And on the other side, it's your character trait of chesed, of being soft and conciliatory. And you're responsible to Hashem for everything. You cannot yield to your toughness and you cannot yield to your softness. A man must at all times be under control. And the Eved Hashem who reminds himself constantly about his obligation to be Adino and Ha'etzni, each one in its proper place, that's the person who has lived successfully. That's the real Yehudi. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Let's get practical. Balancing our personalities. Yehuda was chosen for his boldness, for his ability to stand up for what's right and be tough when it was needed. But Yehuda was also a model of humility. All of our great men were like that. They were strong and humble because they were emulating Hashem. The paradigm of being mighty while remaining humble is HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And this idea is delineated in the second bracha of Shemona Ezra, which discusses Hashem's gevuros as well as His kindliness. We strive to emulate the Midas of Hashem and act powerful while acting kind. This week I will beli neder, stop for a minute each time I say this bracha, and think about how I can implement this into my own life.